go ahead and take a moment and uh, reflect on that intro music and the great production value that comes from the amazing team here at DC Comics News. I want to give a big shout out to our editor, Mr. Josh Rayner. Josh, couldn't do it without you, man. If uh, you weren't here, I'd just be this sort of big, breathy voice with all sorts of distortions and other problematic issues for listeners. In fact, I'll tell you right now, it was Josh who suggested the whole idea of this podcast, and I'm thankful every time I get the chance to sit down and record with you, talk about the books that really got to me, why they got to me, and for the most part, just have a moment where no matter where you are, no matter where I am in comparison to you, we can have this great connection. With that out of the way, hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever time it is, wherever you are. I'm Seth Singleton. I'm your host. This is the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. This is episode number 56. And to give you a quick idea, the Spinner Rack is here for one purpose, to share with you my take on what I think are the top five books from DC Comics this week and each and every week, right here on the DC Comics News Podcast Network. I usually read through the first two, get to an ad break, do three more, and that's the format. So without any other interruptions, further adieus, or you can just listen to me give greater praise to our editor-in-chief, Mr. Josh Rayner, or we could get into some comic books. How about we do the uh, second choice, yeah? This is episode number 56, and starting us off is going to be Deceased, Unkillables, issue number three. Now, with the deceased concept, it's, it's an Elseworlds idea. Things happen that shouldn't happen. And because of it, all the rules go out the window. Alliances change. Heroes team with villains. Villains become heroes. Some heroes become tragic villains. Some terrifying ones. And the gift for us is a different story with a different expectation and series of outcomes. In this version, Darkseid succeeded, the anti-life equation has ravaged the world, and a small group of heroes and villains, maybe even a couple of anti-heroes, from Jim Gordon to Slade Wilson, Jason Todd, Cheetah, Solomon Grundy, Creeper, have taken a group of children under their wing and tried to keep them safe from the horrors of the world. Unfortunately, the world eventually finds them. At this point, they're fighting for their lives, and they have to make a run for it. They believe that a place that's now referred to as the Gotham Jungle is a sanctuary, a place where they can find protection, and more importantly, refuge for the children. These children, however, have been lethally trained over the past weeks, and they are violent versions of who they were when they first arrived. Makes for some really great fight scenes later on, because this journey to the jungle is reckless, fraught with danger, and because of all of this, it makes for some amazing storytelling, and also some amazing demonstrations of what characters 
who we think we know are capable of when they're fighting for something different than maybe they normally had in the past. I can also say in this issue, it's a rare moment, but you wind up rooting for those who are crushing Wonder Woman, or at least getting crushed by her, but putting up a valiant effort. There's also a couple of really fun spoilers, a lot of excitement overall. Now, normally I say this at the beginning, but I got a little excited. It's kind of fun being back in the swing of things with new comics. Hope you'll forgive me. When it comes to the credits, this was written by Tom Taylor, penciled by Carl Mostert, inked by Trevor Scott, Neil Edwards, and Mostert, colored by Rex Locus, with letters by Saida, Temofonte, a cover by Howard Porter and Tomu Mori, and a variant cover by Francesco Mattina and Tazia MS. And the one that gets me with this one is the uh, Cyborg variant. Horrifying. Just deep breath kind of horrifying. Uh, if you love great stories that step outside of the normal DC universe and take on more treacherous territory, this is a story that's right up your alley. It's a reason why I'm happy to lead off this episode number 56 with this book as my first choice, why I give it a 5 out of 5. And why, if I didn't have a little more self-control, I'd just start blabbering away. Here's to self-control. Now, about our second choice. This one takes on a completely different tone. So the last, well, sample. If our first choice left you feeling a bit uncomfortable, especially at the idea of the horrors contained within it, now it's time for a bit of levity. I'm talking about my second choice, which is Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, number 10. There's something really phenomenal about what Matt Fraction is able to do as a writer with characters that might have possibility. And then after you see what he's done, you wonder why no one else recognized all this possibility previously. He's joined by Steve Leiber on art with colors by Nathan Fairburn. Clayton Cowles on the letters, Lieber and Fairbairn providing the original cover with a variant cover by Ben Oliver. That variant cover, something a bit on the zany side, but right on pitch, matching tone of all the ones that have come before it. The thing that you have to remember is that when you're reading Jimmy Olsen, it can be a little bit like experience that plane that's flying overhead. There's a lot of distraction, a bit of distortion, and with Jimmy and Matt Fraction writing his story, there's always 10 things going on. Whether you're opening with a very comedic take on first-person reporting of a jewel heist by Jimmy's wife, Jix, interdimensional thief, jewel thief generally in this case, not so much. However, she was betrothed not aware that Jimmy never took care of annulling their marriage. And because of that, her newest love is here to seek vengeance. But that's part of the distraction, and it's a great opening. But it pulls away from what's been happening with the main through line all the way up to this issue number 10. And that's the fact that someone's been trying to kill Jimmy Olsen. Who could that be? Well... That's revealed 
who it is. Well, it's family. The avoidance of a spoiler at this point becomes a tactful maneuver. What I can say is that events that occurred prior are taking on more relevance, such as the fact that when Jimmy was skydiving out of a plane and there was that awkward transformation into a reptilian creature, which then led him to smash through the monarch and the symbol that it holds for Metropolis, it was hard to understand why Jimmy's brother was so upset until you see him in this story where he's Mr. Metropolis explaining that should anything happen to the monarch, which is right above all public utilities, the land which is owned by Luther but loaned to the city to house the monarch would revert back to him and, with the removal of the monarch no longer being an obstruction, he could access city power, water, and all of its other services, and by doing so, charge whatever he wants and have access to everything he wants. And it's while Mr. Metropolis, Jimmy's brother, Julian, is giving this speech that the statue is destroyed. Now, does this have anything to do with Jimmy having a hit put out on him? Or is it the fact that Julian and his sister are running out of money, and only Jimmy has never touched his trust fund, which has plenty of money, and should something happen to him, would lead to the money reverting back to the remaining members of the family? Now, enter Porcadillo Man and Jim Corrigan. No, not that Jim Corrigan. The one from this story. The one who's not the Spectre. They're on a mission as well. They're uncovering more about this plot. Jimmy takes things into his own hands. And without giving too much away, when he arrives at a gala-like function, not only his appearance, but his actions are a wonderful homage to classic film like Tootsie and The Godfather. You're going to have to read it to see what I'm talking about, but trust me, between Matt Fraction's storytelling and the amazing art from Lieber and the team working with them, you're going to thank me afterwards. I already know of a few people that have, and you're very welcome. With that, my second choice out of the way, we're going to take that quick ad break. Let you know of all the things going on here at DC Comics News. Come back with number three, four, and five. And then it's just a party. See you soon. Hi, everyone. I'm here to tell you about the DC Comics News podcast. Here every week to talk everything DC. Movies, TV, comics, and everything in between. But don't just take my word for it. Here are a couple of our sponsors. Listen to the DC Comics News podcast. It's audio justice. <laughs> no, no, no. It's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Regardless, you can catch us on every kind of podcast platform. Apple Podcasts. Google Play. Spotify. Stitcher. And everywhere you find great podcasts. So, um, can I go now? Let him go. He did everything you asked. <laughs> no. 
Why, hello there. I'm Seth Singleton, and I'm here to tell you about Madbub, a Harley Quinn cast. Harley Quinn? Harley f***ing Quinn? What have we learned from this crazy show? Making bat shark repellent relevant since 1966. Oh look, Ogre. And we've gone completely off the rails. I hear the bat signal. Shut up and bat them, nuts. I definitely do not f*** bat. In need of an adult-sized nemesis. Humans make good fertilizer. You can't f*** with Lois Lane. For f***'s sake. I'm a damn good cop. A lot of lasers. Mmm. Educational and informative. The DC Comics News Podcast Network presents Mad Love, the Harley Quinn cast. <laughs> Back to you, Seth. So, tell us your thoughts. We'd love to hear from everyone out there. Or not. That's really up to all of you. Fuckers. First, there was the DC Comics News Podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I Am The Night. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones, I am the night man i can't wait to find out what you guys learned more importantly i appreciate that you stuck around and came back to us to me i was using the royal us but speaking on behalf of the spinner rack and dc comics news thanks for hanging out we've got three four and five to get through here on episode number 56 of the dc comics news spinner rack I'm still your host, Seth Singleton, and I'm moving us right into Wonder Woman number 755. Man, Wonder Woman has been doing some amazing stuff. I mean, you've had great legends who've worked with her. I mean, the Greg Rucka run alone is a seminal experience. But currently, it feels like the bar is just always being raised. This is an amazing story called The Force for Horsewomen. Not Force, the four horsewomen. I got that. It's written by Steve Orlando with pencils by Jesus Marino, inks by Vicente Cifuentes, Romulo Fajardo Jr. providing the colors, Pat Brousseau providing the letters, Robson Rocha, Danny Nicky, and Brad Anderson on the original cover with Ian McDonald providing the variant. They're both great covers, by the way. Uh, <laughs> One of these days we'll figure out if this is going to be video too and I can just show you some of these shots if that's, you know, allowed. Hey, who who knows? We'll keep moving it along. In this great story, we actually have this amazing opportunity to see Diana struggling with some events from her past. But it starts out with one of those interesting twists that I've heard of where if you start out with something that involves the main character there's sort of a false sense of security that nothing can happen to that character. But when you start out with a lesser valuable character or not the main character, somehow it can heighten the risk. In this case, we have uh, Donna Troy recovering from her time as she was part of a 
huge scale conflict between the Batman who laughs and Apex Luther. Now she's facing off with two members of the Four Horsewomen. They are Armageddon and another name that's quickly escaping me, but trust me, it will come back and then hopefully <laughs> I can explain it. Ah, there it is. Devastation and Armageddon, along with Genocide, who have confronted Donna and are challenging her Amazon heritage and what it has done or not done for. Meanwhile, Wonder Woman is facing her own issue when she is dealing with Helen, the young girl she rescued in Wonder Woman Annual number three, whose family lineage was Von Gunther. Her name was Paula, and Wonder Woman believed that by rescuing her, she could remove her from a trajectory that was built on a family history of, well, domination, fascism, white supremacy. But for all of her efforts, Paula, Helen, regains her memories, gains access to a powerful spear that gives her the chance to experience a communion with her ancestors. The spear is called the Spear of Gudra and it gives her greater power. She confronts Wonder Woman, challenges her on whether or not she had the right to take away Paula's heritage, and in doing so, confronts Diana about the Amazon's heritage, and whether or not it's as noble as she claims it is, or if there's a possibility that the stories, as they tell, of the Valkyrie explorers finding the Amazons. The Amazons say it was an invasion. The Valkyries say that they were just looking for refuge. And it's your choice to believe who you think is right, who's telling the truth. But the doubt and the conflict that it brings up for Diana bring her to a place where she struggles to connect with the source of her powers, her relationship to Themyscira, and to the gods. It's a really great conflict that provides a wonderful understanding of history, the past issues, and not only Wonder Woman Annual number three, but references are made to Wonder Woman number 75 and Wonder Woman number 754. That can get a little confusing with all this legacy numbering going on, but if you've been following Wonder Woman, you're going to recognize these moments that they're pulling out now and using to tell this new story. It's a great experience, and if nothing else, it's a great drop-in moment to kind of catch up on all those things. And then it's up to you whether or not you want to go back and find those old issues, read them for yourselves, experience the story, and have that as part of your Wonder Woman experience. If not, this drops you right in with a great degree of understanding and all the information you really need to start Horsewoman. The Four Horsewomen, part one. Hard not to give this one a great five out of five. I know that was a big breath. Maybe even, you know, whistled in the earphones there, but this was a great experience for me. One I'm happy to share with you. I really enjoyed what Orlando was doing with the storytelling and the art. My goodness. I mean, there's some really lovely moments that remind you why Diana looks 
so amazing on the page and why her character continues to compel and thrall and entertain. Five out of five for me and my third choice here on episode number 56. Now, while that may have been the first appearance of the four horsewomen, I'm thankful that for our next choice, it's the end of this current run, but there are great hints that it is not over. I'm talking about the Dollhouse family, issue number six, this amazing collaboration between M.R. Carey, Peter Cross, Vince Locke, and Chris Peter. It's been a wild ride, and if you haven't been along up to this point, a lot of it's going to feel unfamiliar. In a nutshell, there's a dollhouse. It brings people in. It takes things away. Very few ever escape. How did it get here? Well, there was a battle. And the figure telling the story of this battle is a black cat. A very polite one, but determined. Una, the daughter of Alice, has gone into the house, and in doing so, a part of her that belonged to the creature that created, birthed the house, is taken back. The cat helps Alice prepare to go in after her daughter, and explains to her how the finding of the place where the creature that gave life to the house was made by an ancestor named Jonathan Kent. And when Kent discovered this and was coupled with the creature, the house was created from the afterbirth, and part of the house and its energies blended with Jonathan's bloodline. In order to get all of its power back, it needs each member of the house to come in to the dollhouse, or each member of the Kent family to come into the dollhouse. Maybe that makes more sense. And because of that, what we get is this great moment where Alice does what needs to be done. But in doing so, she's got a plan to save her, everyone else in the house, more importantly, her daughter. It involves a piece of metal found at the site, instructions from the cat, and help from a few other parties. And from then on, the only real question, as was raised by another reviewer on DC Comics News, is something to do with time travel. I don't think it gets in the way, and I feel that overall, the ending it provides, like I said, sets up for that great opportunity for more stories about the characters from the Dollhouse family. I think overall, this has been a really fun ride, and I'm happy to see it come to a great conclusion with potential for the future. Dollhouse number six, my fourth choice, a great five out of five. Highly recommended that if you haven't read it, you pick up the whole series. Enjoy the run, and then tell me what you thought. And that brings me to my fifth and final choice. I'm talking about Plunge number three, a really amazing story brought to us by the very impressive talents of Joe Hill, Stuart Immonen, colors by Dave Stewart, letters by Darren Bennett, and a, well, equally impressive cover by Jeremy Wilson and variant cover by Gary Frank and Brad Anderson. The plunge is challenging so many of the great things that you know about horror 
and suspense stories, comics, movies. We're talking about Sinkik, Ungai Fagata, in the Bering Strait. I know I butchered that name because it's a hard one and I butchered the easy ones. But the crew of the Derelith has been found by a search party. Their eyes are lost from their head. They claim it's a disease brought on by an indigenous worm. They've been there for much longer than they should have to actually A, be alive, or B, still appear as young as they do, and yet it's clear between their missing eyes, which are blackened over, and the odd way in which they speak, and everything else creepy about this book in the previous issues, that something dangerous is happening. They ask for the captain who arrives, and in the process, they are given shelter and refuge because there was an explosion on the ship. It's no longer seaworthy, and they've called for a rescue. And then, during this time of refuge and reflection, it's revealed that these residents from the derelict on this piece of land in the Bering Strait have solved Pi. Now, one of their number someone who is really more of an executive and used to being treated as so and acting as so, believes that's incorrect because he knows what most of us know. And yet, what's happening here is beyond what most of us know. Russell, a character you might remember from previous issues, and if not, will make a searing impression on you in this issue. Is wearing headphones given to him by the crew of the derelict. These headphones allow him to hear thoughts, but he can't stop hearing them. But that's not all there is. There's also an object, something that has been taken by a member of the crew, something that was given to him, something he will not relinquish. And the best part is, we never get the chance to see it. We only get to see the frenzy it creates on the men around him, and the way Bill responds. Wow, sometimes in great stories, you don't need superpowers. The power of people, what we're capable of, it's horrifying at times, and this book is plumbing the depths of it, and in the process, we are all taking a plunge I should mention that not only this, but The Dollhouse Family features the equally thrilling, based on a true story, serial collection, The Sea Dogs, which is at the end of every one of the Joe Hill Comics line comics. And if you get the chance, read this section of great end tale storytelling. <laughs> it's as compelling as the original books they're printed in. And as I heard someone from a shop recently say, man, I hope they collect these all in a separate edition at some point, because that would just be great. <laughs> um, and I, I, I couldn't agree more. I don't know if it goes without saying, but I'll say it. This book, pure five out of five, wonderful experience, horrifying. I mean, just bone jarring, horrifying, and great writing. Between the two, 
the content, the way it's executed, well, I'm just going to say you're really in for a treat. I know I think it's worth five out of five, but you know what I really want. I want to hear from you. How can you do it? Well, it's really simple. First things first, all you have to do is go to your favorite social media platform, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or somewhere else you might visit. Use the at symbol and DC Comics News. That's capital D, capital C, capital C, O-M-I-C-S, capital N, E-W-S. And when you use those letters with that at symbol, it lets all of us here at the DC Comics News team know what you're thinking, know what you're saying, and maybe get back to you. We always get back to you, actually. Now, the music is queuing up in the background, which lets me know we're going to have to wrap this up because the world is waking up, and as it is, we must sally forth with it. However, you're not going to have to do it alone because we are available on all your major podcast platforms, whether you like Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, or so many others, which if you let us know, we're happy to promote and let others know that the platform you're listening on is the platform that you can hear us and others can hear us as well. Well, we'd love to let you know. All you need to do is look for that DC Comics News. Subscribe, rate, and review. Let us know what you're thinking, how much you like what we're doing, what we can do better, because we want to hear it from you. And you'll have that chance to enjoy original programming. Stuff that you can't find anywhere else, whether it's the weekly DC Comics News podcast, I Am the Night, the episode-by-episode breakdown of Batman the Animated Series by our very own Mr. Steve J. Ray, more episodes of The Spinner Rack, or our newest edition, Mad Love, a Harley Quinn cast. It's all available. It's all right here on the DC Comics News Podcast Network. Make sure you're subscribed to us on your favorite podcast platform, and you will never miss us. That's it for me on this episode number 56. If you're looking for me out there in the big wide world, you can use my name, Seth Singleton, and add the word story. Or find me on a platform like Twitter, where I'm one more Singleton, Instagram, where I'm Seth the Writer. Or just do a search. Come find me. When you do, love to make a great connection. Love to talk to you about anything here on the Spinner Rack, DC Comics News Weekly Podcast, or anything else you want to talk about. Looking forward to sharing my next selection next time with you on episode number 57. Until then, thanks for joining me. Thanks for being here with me. Big thanks to Editor-in-Chief Mr. Josh Rayner and to the DC Comics News Podcast Network for letting me be a part of all of their great content. Love hosting the Spinner Rack. Can't wait to share my next pick of comics with you. Till next time, folks. 